Hi, how's it going? I'm a mute, Michael McQueen, Irish NFL show, week 10, Thursday Night Football. You couldn't ask for a better start to the show. Colin Cronin, Brian O'Leary, I'm on mute, the order's wrong. How's it going, boys? Welcome in. Very good, yeah. We're we're beyond the halfway point of the, the season, but still plenty of intrigue, plenty of storylines, and lots to look forward to. We have so much to look forward to, Brian, including Thanksgiving dinner in your house. Uh, two weeks tonight. Yeah, that's that's news to me. I didn't realize I was I was hosting a party that that uh, that night. We'll have to discuss that again. Unfortunately, Mark isn't here with us again. That's two shows in a row. Mark has missed. Uh, for anyone who loves Mark and is wondering where he is, he's traveling abroad for work commitments at the moment. But we do expect him to be back for the weekend show. And uh, yeah, but I'm sure he's going to send his video in, Michael, with his pick for this evening's game. I don't know. I've asked him to send a video in. I'll 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 te- I'll text him and I message him so he definitely gets it. But hopefully we've a with a great show coming up though, boys tonight. Uh, Colin, who who's coming on over the next hour and a half? A couple of uh, big guests. Uh, one returning guest. Delighted to welcome uh, Sam Monson to to the show. He's always fascinating and offers brilliant insights. So Sam from PFF and then Connor Rogers um, is going to be making his Irish NFL show debut. Uh, we'll intrigued to see if that name means that he has Irish heritage, but uh, he will be very welcome. And we have a, a big enough game, I think, this evening to discuss as well, because the Ravens obviously pushing with the, the AFC number one spot up for grabs, I think. Absolutely. Brian, the Irish NFL show presented by Trust, presented by Matchbook Betting Exchange. Connor Rogers does sound like an Irish twist, maybe a friend of Brendan's, I'm not sure. Friend of Brendan Rogers, this side of the world, or maybe a friend of Aaron Rogers, that side of the world, and maybe he can explain to us about how Mr. Rogers has found himself short of a few quid. I think someone compared it today, um, if they were to be in the average US salary, it would equate to $33 of your weekly wages. That's how much Aaron Rodgers has been fined in the grand scheme of things. Um, I think we're kind of sick to sick at this stage talking about the Aaron Rodgers fiasco, aren't we? I don't mind. I don't mind. it. We've got Sam Monson, of course, from PFF coming on in a few minutes. Before we do that, we've obviously got the Dolphins, the Ravens coming up tonight. But Colin, what's been taking your fancy in the NFL over the last few days? Last week was crazy. This week isn't much different. Well, I think probably the the talking point Brian and I were discussing it on uh, the other the other night because the only the only game in town was the the referee's performance in that um, the game in, in Chicago because it was just crazy. Um, I to, I mean take your pick. Is it is it the hit that um, went in on Justin Fields that wasn't called where he hit, gets hit from behind? um Nikola Jokic style or is it um the <laughs> like the taunting what whatever but the hip check was just crazy and um what were your what did you make of it Brian because I know you're in touch with uh far far more bear fans than the rest of us I am yeah I've a few quite a few friends who are bears fans I didn't stay up for the game my plan was to watch the highlights on Tuesday morning I woke up to an abundance of messages and when I saw the amount of messages I had. I said, "Oh my God, the Bears have actually pulled this off and won," but it, it wasn't. It was it was a discussion around the poor performance of the referee. But it wasn't like this. Um, the incident with the flag and how he leans back in 
into the into the player. It kind of reminded me, um, the older generation, to, you know, to you, Michael, but it reminded me of for people on the north side of Dublin, good time charities. And when you used to go out on a Friday and Saturday night, and the odd lady would bump back into you to see your reaction as you went by, and if you liked what you saw, you'd you'd stop the walk and you'd stay where you are, or you'd continue going. He just the way he leaned back into the player as he moved up, and then throws the flag, and then he says, "I saw when you, the report after him, I I recognised he was taunting the Steelers sideline." Well, first of all, he couldn't see the player's mouth because he had his back to him, and who was he taunting? Because the players were on were in the process of going off the field. So what he was taunting the, the special teams coming on to punt. And it's such a critical time in the game. Three and a half minutes to go. I know the Bears got, got themselves in front at the end, but like it's still such a crucial part in the game. And it takes away to a certain extent about all the other bad decisions in the game. The the uh, the Bears scored a really good touchdown to Jimmy Graham, which was ruled out, I think for a chop block or something like that. But that when you looked at the replays, even the ESPN guys were saying, no, that didn't make any sense. Then the following play thereafter, when after because they had to re replay the down as Colin Lewis, the fields gets the heavy hand from behind. That wasn't called as a flag. There was a what was it, a pass interference flag, which looked ridiculous. I mean, we could go on all night. The league will come out and support the referee. A referee who's 69 years of age, by the way. Like, I mean, is it not time to hang up his cleats or his flags or whatever, his stripes, whatever you want to call it? I mean, I saw uh, Boomer Sison saying the problem is the, the, the referees coming into the league, making the transition into the league, are just not up to the quality of what they have at the moment. Therefore, these guys have to prolong their their career within the refereeing circles. You know, at 69 years of age, they need him to be... Well, I don't think they need him, to be honest, because I've, there's been a few referees of late who have seemed to enjoy the publicity of being in prime time and are doing everything to show as many flags as they can. I'm not ranting, but... I'll leave it there. We have uh, Sam Monson coming up in a minute. A couple of things for me from that Monday Night Football game. No Manning cast, so no uh, no curse this week for any team, hopefully. I missed the Manning cast. I know we can't really watch it live, but even seeing the videos the next day, it is good crack, to be fair. Dan Hans' column has got the Cowboys at number five in his power rankings yesterday. After well, that. well, they've got a lot to prove. Um, they, I mean, Jerry Jones's comments I thought were quite telling. Jerry was um, pretty upset, I would say, by how flat they were. I think he said that he'd never seen them perform like that. I, I would say Mike McCarthy's seat might be getting very warm if the Cowboys don't make a deep playoff run because there there was all sorts we heard gil brandt say you know should should they rest that because you know really what did they did they need him i think obviously the overconfidence and jerry acknowledged it they had a un, unlike a vance joseph team they had a bad week of practice and it showed in in the game so cowboys look we know how talented they can be but they need to get back on track certainly after that and jerry not happy with Dak staying in the game at the end either yeah, and they have the Falcons this weekend, so it's a bit of a precarious one because all expectations will be that they will rebound. But the Falcons have torn... I think that I know they were inconsistent and they lost that game to the Panthers a few weeks ago, but, I mean, that weekend, that last weekend to go into Saints team, they aren't the same Saints team as we've seen over the years, but at the same time, it's a big win for them. So they'll be, you know, they'll be quite confident they can go in there and cause a shock. So certainly a lot more of an interesting game than we would have expected last week. Looking forward to looking forward to the Chiefs game against the Cowboys as well very soon. But looking forward to our guest now from Pro Football Focus, 
Ireland's own Sam Monson. Sam, happy Thursday night. First off, welcome back in, man. Thanks. How's it going, guys? It's going good, Sam. It's it's been great. It's great to have you on. It's hard to believe now. We're ten weeks into the season, and it feels like you were on here yesterday. It's been, I'd say, a very busy week uh, or a very busy ten weeks for you. Yeah, like the the season's always crazy over at uh, PFF. All the stuff we got to do, um, but yeah, it it flies by like just busy weeks, busy days, and uh, before you know it, you're you're ten weeks in. Sam, I, I wanted to ask you about a, a guy you've been, I think, tw certainly tweeting about for years and years. I think you saw him all the way back when he was playing in Tennessee. Uh, Cordell Patterson, who, you know, is, not, I think, ninth year in the league. We've seen him incredible kick returner. Um, we've seen him be a gunner. We've seen him catch passes before, but he's having a breakout year. What is it that the, the Falcons are, are doing and, and why has nobody done it before? I think teams have been trying to do it before, but nobody's sort of fully embraced it the way that Atlanta has. Like, I've always had a soft spot for Patterson. I liked him as a player coming out, and the Vikings draft him in the first round, and he just doesn't become the sort of superstar number one wide receiver that he was supposed to be. But it didn't mean that he was bad. Like, he was, he was never a bad player or a complete bust, you know. When, when guys like Troy Williamson before flame out, it's because they just can't play, right? Patterson could always play in the NFL. He just wasn't that conventional number one wide receiver. And I think now we're seeing that he can do a whole bunch of different things and still be a really useful impact playmaker to a team. And, you know, the Vikings kept him around for a while, primarily as a kick return guy who could, you know, do some things on offense and be a kind of gimmick player here or there. Then between Chicago and New England, teams started to use him more as an actual running back, not just a wide receiver that would be moved into the backfield and kind of create a, a gimmick play here or there, but actually move him as uh, to like a full-time running back. And then Atlanta have kind of embraced the whole idea of like, what if he's just a positionless player? Like he isn't a running back. He's not a wide receiver. He's like the closest thing the NFL has to those sort of athlete designations in college where a guy is just a super athlete, he's a great playmaker, and we just figure out how to get him the ball in various different ways. And because they're doing that, like you get these sequences of plays where he causes personnel problems for a defense because if you, you know, defenses treat a running back and a receiver completely differently from a personnel standpoint. And if you decide to play him one way, the Falcons can put him somewhere completely different and make you wrong. And then if you adjust and do it the other way, they flip back. And I, I think there's always been a lot of mileage in these um, hybrid type of players that can do a bunch of different things because they make you wrong before you've done anything. Like just from a personnel matchup standpoint, they can make you wrong every single time you line up. Sam, the Tennessee Titans, I suppose the primary focus of their team is, is Derek Henry and Having gone out injured last week, I suppose a lot of people felt that they certainly wouldn't win on Sunday in LA and potentially there's an opportunity for the Colts to play catch-up in the division. But un underrated, I suppose, to a certain extent, has been the defense, maybe more so because they were so poor last year. Are you pleasantly surprised by how, how, they, how much they've improved throughout the season? Yeah, and particularly because I think they've improved a lot despite the personnel not being dramatically better. Like, you look at... Um, the players they have, particularly with all the injuries and the corners they're starting right now, um, and some of the players they have up front, like it's not like a bunch of these guys have taken huge steps forward and they're dominating and 
like this is the result, they are really outperforming the kind of personnel that they have out there. They've got a lot of guys that are sort of doing okay, but they're not dominating the way you would you would think needs to happen for their weaknesses to be papered over. So like kind of like the Titans generally, I think they're sort of they're overachieving, but they're doing it consistently to the point where I'm not sure you can just write it off as like a fluke or something that's got to regress in the other direction at some point. They do appear to be consistently able to like outperform collectively the sum of all their parts. And yeah, like I think as much as their offense doing okay and, and winning a game on the road without Derrick Henry, like the most impressive thing about that game was that their defense shut down arguably the best offense in the NFL. Like they dominated them up front. They weren't ripped to, p- to pieces on the back end with, despite the corners that they had playing guys like Kevin Bayard are legitimately playing at, at incredible levels and is a potential defensive player of the year candidate. So, yeah, I've been impressed by how much better the Titans defense looks than I think we all think it should. Ten weeks in, Sam, Mac Jones for the Patriots, impressing a lot of people. I know he's impressing you as well. What's been your thoughts on him so far? And obviously, a lot of teams passed on this guy, Sam. Yeah, he... All the things that were strengths of his as a prospect, I think, have been just as good in the NFL as they were in college. So when you were talking about him as a prospect coming out, you're like, well, he's incredibly accurate. He has such a good command of that Alabama offense. He always gets to the right play at the right time, um, finds the right receiver, just doesn't put the ball in harm's way and doesn't miss. And all those things are true right now. Like that's who he's been in the NFL. He's incredibly accurate, um, doesn't uh, throw many uncatchable passes at all and is usually putting the ball in the right place, like doesn't force it into weird places, diagnoses the defense, finds the right guy, even if it isn't, you know, a a particularly impactful play or a huge pass deep down the field. The question is, okay, if all the positives are still true, how much better can he get? Because the draft process was all focused on like the weaknesses and where his ceiling was because he's not particularly athletic and doesn't have a cannon for an arm and, you know, can't do the special things that we see from Justin Fields or some of these other guys. Um, and I think that's still an open question. Like he's done an incredible job at the stuff we already knew he was good at, but we haven't yet seen the Patriots really lean on him and ask him to do, you know, too much, ask him to be more aggressive and ask him to make some of the tougher throws. So I think it's a question of, right, we know he's going to be a pretty good quarterback now, but we don't know how good he can get. Like how much better can he get at the stuff that's an unknown quantity and kind of push himself up those quarterback rankings. Like right now, he's already a viable starting quarterback, but the difference between viable starting quarterback and, you know, top five, top 10 guy is the really important difference. Sam, I saw one of your tweets, I think this week was, if offensive uh, linesman won such awards, Rayshon Slater will be rookie of the year through the first nine weeks. Can you talk to us a little bit about like what is it that's so impressed you about Slater and maybe more broadly about like the Chargers through the, the first nine weeks? Well, the Chargers have completely overhauled that entire offensive line. Like they have had a pretty terrible offensive line for years, basically the entirety of Philip Rivers career. They never had a good offensive line in front of him. And Justin Herbert comes out last year, plays incredibly, plays incredibly well under pressure. It would have been really easy for them to kind of say, well, he's good enough that we don't need a great offensive line in front of him. Let's just keep doing what we're doing. But they didn't. They really went hard after that offensive line 
and they draft Rayshon Slater in the first round. They bring in Corey Lindsley to a really big money deal in free agency. They bring in Matt Filer at a much uh, more modest deal, but they completely overhaul that group. And so far, every one of those moves has hit. Um, Lindsley's playing really well at center. Matt Filer's playing better than he ever did in Pittsburgh at guard. And Rayshon Slater looks like the next kind of great young left tackle. Um, you just look at the the confidence he has and his technique and just he doesn't lose. Um, and he's given up 12 pressures so far. And that's despite playing Miles Garrett. Like Garrett is single-handedly ending games. You know, he's destroyed the, the Chicago Bears offensive line. He's had multiple games where he's completely wrecked the opposition game plan. And Slater gave up, I think, four pressures to him. And half of those were because of the, they were trying to give him help with chip blocks. And Slater went out and said, look, stop chipping because it's, it's kind of throwing me off my block, right? I'm not used to the whole dynamic of a running back kind of throwing a shoulder in and what that does to reset your leverage and all those kinds of things. He actually went and said, stop giving me the help. Like I'm better off one-on-one -on -one with Miles Garrett than I am, you know, you guys trying to help me. Um, and I think that, that speaks volumes. Like not only is he good enough, but he's got that kind of confidence to say, yeah, I can, I can take the best guys in the NFL one-on-one -on -one and we're going to be fine. Sam, the last time we had you on, you, you, I suppose you suggested that potentially Daniel Jones wouldn't succeed in New York and more so it wouldn't be because of him. It would be because of the offensive line and the amount of changes that keep coming down the line. One player that seems to have really kind of gelled this year, unfortunately he's injured at the moment, is Andrew Thomas. From where he was last year, a lot of people felt he was injured last year. He hasn't given up a sack prior to the injury this year. Are you surprised that he's made the jump from his fourth year to where he is now at the moment? Not surprised. I mean, Andrew Thomas was our number one tackle coming out of that draft. We thought he was the best of what was a really good group. Like, you know, Mikai Becton, Tristan Wirfs, like pretty much all the tackles in that group have been good. Um, except like Austin Jackson has been bad for the Dolphins. And then Andrew Thomas was one of the weakest last year. Um, so we definitely always believed that he had the potential last year. I think, I think they also reworked his technique as well, which was always going to take some time to, to get up to where it needed to be. Like they changed how he, um, sets and pass protection and the jump to the NFL is a big enough one anyway, without having to like completely rework your technique on the fly. So it sort of made sense that he would take this jump this year and, yeah, he's been he'd been playing well before he went down hurt. And like losing him has completely changed that entire Giants offensive line. It was taking steps in the right direction. Like they didn't get good or anything, but they were at least moving away from being a complete train wreck. Thomas goes down. They have to reshuffle the group. And all of a sudden that line goes back to being like a complete disaster. And, and Daniel Jones just can't get anything done, given how bad it is right now. So. I think Thomas is, is making a real difference in terms of how good or bad that line and how good or bad Daniel Jones looks this year. Yeah, I just realized I was next. Sorry. I was listening to Brian too much with the Giants. <laughs> Apologies. I've seen a PFF data this week. Uh, Sam, four quarterbacks in terms of their grades. Justin Fields with, with a 90.5 rating first, but Jordan Love in last how did you find watching Jordan Love and his performance and his, I guess, his debut performance in the NFL going to Arrowhead of the weekend? Yeah, like it's your your game one. It's tough to sort of draw any massive conclusions one way or the other in terms of writing a guy off. Like young quarterbacks struggle all the time. But if you were one of these people that 
you know, soured on Aaron Rodgers after the week he just had and, and all the COVID stuff, or if you were just looking to the future beyond him anyway, given what happened in the offseason, and you were hoping that Jordan Love was going to come in, look great, and all of a sudden you, you feel pretty good about things in a post-Aaron Rodgers world, like that game did not help you at all. I mean, he just he didn't look good. And the Chiefs had a good game plan. It was a sort of standard game plan for attacking a rookie quarterback, blitz him, you know, force him into um, making some of these l- small margin for error types of plays. I think we saw like how dependent that offense is on that connection that Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams have. There was a bunch of plays where Jordan Love, you know, off the back of the blitz has Devontae Adams one-on-one down the sideline. And that's where you see that just metronomic back shoulder throw that Rodgers hits, you know, to, to Adams time after time after time. And those two have it have it dialed in, but the, Jordan Love doesn't. And that pass, the same pass, was you know left a yard and a half inside, or was overthrown, or just wasn't where it needed to be. And those those two don't have that chemistry yet. Doesn't mean that they they can't get there, but it just sort of shows you how important that is in an offense like that. And yeah, Love Love didn't look great. Sam, I saw that um, PFF had contract projections out this week, and I suppose being a being a Broncos fan, um, was keeping an eye. Cortland Sutton, I think, projected a four-year, 17, 17 and a half, and uh, Tim Patrick, three-year, just over thirteen million. If you were in George Payton's position, would you look to bring both of those guys back, or what way would you look? Do you think the Broncos might or or should approach it? Yeah, I think it's probably unrealistic to get both of them back. Um, I think it depends sort of where they view the other guys on that depth chart. Like Denver's group of receivers right now is so good and so deep and, and versatile and um, just across the board, they've got so much talent. So, but, but Cortland Sutton is the one that's the kind of clear number one type of skill set. He's big, he's fast, he's got ball skills, he can win everywhere, he can beat press coverage. Um, can kind of get on top of a cornerback quickly and cause them real problems deep down the field. If you believe that Jerry Judy can become that guy and can do those things in the future, or if you believe that Tim Patrick in a bigger role can actually be that guy on a consistent basis, I think you you could probably bring back Patrick, let Cortland Sutton walk, and then, um, you know, bank on some kind of development from Judy and getting KJ Hamler back and those kinds of things. If you think that Sutton is the only guy in that room that has that ceiling, that has that skill set as the the kind of true number one, then I think you probably have to do everything possible to keep him in the building. Um, because as much as I really like Jerry Judy and his ability to separate and, and run uh, routes and, and do all those kinds of things, the one area where you would question, like, can he do this, is the stuff that Sutton does. Sutton does. It's the you know the contested catches, the just a physical dominance over cornerbacks on the outside. I'm not sure he can do that. Tim Patrick can, but I don't know if we've seen him do it consistently or you would have the same degree of confidence that he'll do it game after game the way Corlin Sutton can. So I think it kind of depends where they are on that, on everybody else. Sam, interested to hear your thoughts on, on Jalen Hortz with the Eagles because there's a, I suppose there's a mixed opinion out there that we're not seeing the best of him because the head coach isn't allowing him to I suppose, utilize his skill set to the best that he has, or, or is it just the case that people feel he's just not suitable to the NFL in the wrong? 
Yeah, I, Hertz is a weird one. I didn't like Hertz as a prospect. I didn't think he had a real shot at being a good NFL quarterback. Um, and then other people were the other way around. A lot of people really loved him as a prospect. And it's sort of, depending on where you started off, almost dictates how you're seeing him now. It's like, you know, if you go in and watch a film, either with high expectations or low expectations, it, it can completely change what you think of it. So because I really didn't think much of him as a prospect, I'm, I'm actually kind of surprised how good he's been in the NFL. But I know, you know, people like Darius Butler, who's on our show, uh, the PFF live show every Sunday, like Darius thought he was a really good prospect and consequently is massively disappointed by what he's done in the NFL so far. But I think that probably tells you where he is, which is like somewhere in the middle. And he's obviously got that rushing threat, which is, I think, an important part of playing quarterback in today's NFL. He's got the ability to make big plays and, and do some pretty impressive things with his arm. His accuracy and consistently consistency is not where you want it to be. He's always kind of, you know, leaving a few throws on the table that you kind of need him to get if he's going to be that next level type of guy. But also, I don't think that offense has been doing him any favors. Like for a while this season, the offense was basically expecting him to do everything. And then the last few weeks, it was like they stumbled into this idea of, hey, we've got a really good offensive line. How about we just like dominate up front and the ball off a lot. And then Jalen Hurts doesn't have to do as much. Um, I think they're better when that happens. So I think you're going to end up in a situation where you get to the end of the year and you probably don't know either way. Like he's shown just enough that you think he could start and be a pretty good player, but does he have more in the tank? Because we kind of need more in the tank if he's going to be, you know, the definite future, the answer going forward. Um, but probably shown too much to just say, like, there's no shot of this guy being any kind of good quarterback going forward. And for Philadelphia, they're in a weird spot because the draft doesn't look like it's a good quarterback group at all. And all of a sudden, they've, like, amassed these three picks in the first round, which could be top 10 selections, and they might not have a quarterback to go after with them. Yeah, sorry, I was just going to make that point. Because they have the Dolphins pick and the way the Dolphins season has progressed, they like that that could be a top five pick and – I wonder, did he overthink the situation, you know, at the end of the season and then taking a quarterback more so because they have the, the abundance of picks? I wonder if it means that instead of like, I think what they did is smart. Like, it depends. You know, a lot of times people make the, the call of you just have to draft a quarterback. Like, it doesn't really matter if you don't believe in them or not. You Nobody's good enough or bad enough at sort of at evaluating that you can afford to run that risk because if you pass on a guy and he ends up being the next Justin Herbert, you look like an idiot. Um, so I, I, but I don't really hate the idea of that team apparently looked at last year's draft class and thought it was two quarterbacks strong. They liked Trevor Lawrence and they liked Zach Wilson. And as soon as it became clear, they didn't have a shot at either of those two guys. They were out on this group. They didn't like Trey Lance, didn't like Justin Fields, didn't like Mac Jones. And as much as I might disagree with that, it's, pretty hard to expect a team to come to that conclusion and say, well, we have to draft one of them anyway, because that's the nature of quarterbacks. So I think if you're going to do that and say, we're not into this draft class, let's load up next year and let's come back and do it again. I don't hate that as a strategy. The problem is everybody that looked like they were going to be great quarterbacks this year, they've all been playing badly. Like Spencer Rattler was our number one quarterback and the, the kind of college watch list going into the year the guy's been benched like not only is he not taking a step forward but he's he's not even in the job anymore 
So the collection of quarterbacks that the Eagles might have been looking at and saying, all right, here's our, here's our answer in the future, none of them have kind of taken that step forward and look like they're going to be the guy. So all of a sudden they have those picks. Maybe they just reach for one of those guys anyway, but maybe they become players for an Aaron Rodgers or for a Russell Wilson or a Deshaun Watson or one of these quarterbacks that would take, you know, three first round picks to prize from the, the team that they're currently in. They may, they might take those picks now and decide that, all right, none of these quarterbacks are worth going for in the draft. So let's see what we can prize out of a team in terms of just throwing draft picks at them. Try and get another quick round of questions and get your pick ahead of tonight's game. Sam, Sam, you were spot on with a tweet in February saying that Sam Darnold shouldn't be a starting quarterback in, in 2021. <laughs> it's definitely been a, a season to forget for him. Now, with him looking at at least four to six weeks out, can you see any way back for him? You know, never mind with the Panthers. I've seen, I've seen that video at the weekend, but uh, just in general, man, it, it looks like it could be the end of the road. Yeah, I, I think it will be. Like, Darnold, the problem is he's been the same guy like every year of his career. And honestly, that's kind of the same guy that he was in college as well, which is massively inconsistent. You know, you'll see a few plays where you think, okay, now I believe, but it's always followed by bad. And I think at some point when a guy is that consistent, you just have to come to the conclusion that it's them. It isn't the circumstances around them. You would expect just more fluctuation if it was. So he goes to Carolina. You have a couple of good games at the start of the year when they're playing bad teams. And then all of a sudden he goes back to being Sam Darnold. Um, I would say that we probably need to cut him a break a little bit for the Patriots game. If he was playing that game with some kind of, you know, broken bone in his shoulder blade, like, that I've been giving Baker Mayfield a kind of break this season because like he's playing all year with a torn uh, labrum that's in his non-throwing shoulder. Like Darnold played the whole game with apparently like a crack in his shoulder blade on the throwing shoulder. It might not have explained. I mean, we've seen Bill Belichick do this to him anyway, so it might not have explained the whole thing, but it certainly didn't help. Um, Sam, I, I'm, I caught kind of between two questions here because I've heard one of the points I've always like thought was interesting that you made was around Rob Gronkowski and how he's only six months older than Travis Kelsey. And you always said that e either means that Gronk has a lot more left in the tank or it means that the end is coming closer for Kelsey than we thought. Given what we've seen from the Chiefs and, and Kelsey this season now, he's been okay. Um, but what are your your thoughts, I suppose, uh, at this point of the season around uh, Kelsey and maybe the Chiefs? Yeah, and I didn't know this when I said that, but um, one of our data science guys, Eric Eager, has kind of looked into the NGS data and has said, you can see Travis Kelsey's kind of speed and athleticism numbers kind of consistently go down for the last couple of years. Like you could you could look at the data trend and say this kind of season is, has been coming in terms of athletically what he's been doing. You could kind of trace this decline as he gets older. So maybe this is what, what that tweet kind of predicted that the end for Travis Kelsey is actually closer than people were giving it credit for. Like Rob Gronkowski was retired years ago and okay, he's come back, but he isn't the same player he used to be. He can still make some big plays, but it's not like this dominant, um, you know, best tight end in the NFL type of thing. Like Kelsey, the entire offense is off. So it's a little bit harsh to judge Kelsey on how everything looks for the Chiefs right now. But he certainly doesn't look as dynamic and as unstoppable as he has in the past. And we're only, I know we're only like, 
you know, whatever it is, nine months away from him just destroying people in the playoffs and looking completely unplayable. But he does look like he's a little bit less of a player than he was in the past. Sam, read an interesting article from one of the beat writers for the 49ers last week who suggested that Shanahan was overruled in the draft and he was still he still wants Mac Jones despite the, the huge I suppose the huge jump to get up to number three and he was overruled for Trey Lance by other people within the organization. Um your thoughts on Trey Lance and whether you think there's any any substance to that conversation to that story? There could be. I mean that whole that whole um 49ers draft thing was weird. I don't think there is. From what I understand, Shanahan genuinely liked all those quarterbacks. Uh, they they kind of did the first run of like scouting them all, and at that point decided that he liked them, he liked them all enough that they could just trade to three and then make the final decision later. Like he was comfortable with getting either one of a couple of those guys at number three. Then once he went through the sort of second pass, that's when he started splitting the hairs and decided that Trey Lance was the guy to get. I, I buy that. I think that makes sense, the plausible kind of way that whole thing worked. Um, and I think I, I think if you were looking at Mac Jones, a prospect, I get why you would like him enough to take him at three. But the idea that you would like him enough to trade as much as they traded for him and get him at three always seemed a little bit too much for me. Um, and that's kind of where you would be now, right? Because even though Jones has been by far the best one of these guys, the question is still like, where is his ceiling? Like how much better can he get at the stuff that he can't really get better at? Like he's not going to get more athletic. His arm is not going to get stronger. How high is his ceiling? Whereas regardless of the struggles of Trey Lance and Justin Fields, and you're at least confident and, you know, Wilson and Trevor Lawrence as well, for that matter, like you're at least confident that those guys still have the same ceiling. They're still capable of every ridiculous throw in the book um, they're still capable of making great plays with their legs, particularly Lance and Fields. Um, and it's just a case of like, all right, how long is it going to take us to get there and how much can we help them along the way? So Trey Lance has definitely, I think, had more issues in the NFL than I thought he was going to have based off his college tape. I think the small sample size worked in his favor in terms of I just don't think he had an opportunity to show some of his weaknesses in college. All of a sudden they're there in the NFL. Um, you know, diagnosing defenses and kind of forcing the ball some sometimes. But I still think like, you know, he in that Shanahan offense, given the magic that he's worked with guys like Nick Mullins and CJ Beathard and even Jimmy Garoppolo to some extent, it's hard to see how he won't be successful to some degree within that offense. And then again, it's just a case of like, how good can he be? Sam, just before we get your game pick tonight, it's been fantastic well like it's been a fantastic few years for pro football focus but obviously the last 68 months has seen a great change obviously with, with your new studio expansion into different sports you must be very proud to be a part of the i guess the journey in ohio and fervor field yeah it's cool um like things just keep going from strength to strength the the new sports is going to be a fun thing soccer is on the way uh rugby is going to be a thing as well that should be pretty cool I'm looking forward to seeing the more rugby jerseys Sam's going to put on, Colin, during the uh, show as well. Indeed, and and those um those the podcast with Steve, uh, I suppose, uh, always enjoy him, Sam. But one of the topics that always comes up um, is the the Dolphins O line, and I know you were tweeting uh, with uh, Mina uh, Kynes, uh this week around it. Just I suppose with tonight's game in mind. Um, the how big a, an issue is that O line, and what what, uh, what can Tua do? Like, I suppose he'll, 
you know, almost feels like he's auditioning uh, for a role somewhere else in the league over the, the second half of the season. Yeah, it, it's the worst offensive line in the NFL. Um, and I think it needs to be repeated constantly that, like, we are judging Tua based off working behind by far the worst offensive line in the NFL. They're on pace to give up a historical amount of pressures. And that's despite um, that's despite an offense or a, an offense that's getting rid of the ball quickly when Tua's in there. Brissett, less so. But when two is there, that ball comes out fast. They have a ton of RPOs, which are essentially plays where the offensive line isn't pass blocking, right? They're run blocking. They're not responsible for pressure on those RPO plays. So they are protecting that line a lot, and it is still giving up a historical amount of pressure. So, and I think the difference between Tua and Brissett when he's in there, it's it's significant. Like you see the offense looks better when two is there. It protects the offensive line more. I think guys like Waddle look better when Tua is the quarterback, we always start talking about quarterbacks needing to like raise the level of the guys around them. And that's one of the sort of signals of a good quarterback Tua actually does that fairly obviously within this offense. And Brissett isn't like a complete joke of a quarterback. He's one of the best backup quarterbacks in the NFL. And the difference between him in there and Tua in there is pretty stark. Um, so I think, everybody's kind of writing off to it, including the dolphins. It seems right. Like they're in trying to get to Sean Watson and all those kinds of things, but he is in a terrible situation. It is an awful offensive line. Um, his receivers, I think are, are pretty good, but how much can you use them behind that group? And like they, the dolphins missed basically on that line. They decided that it would be good this year. It would take a step forward in development. Young players would be better. And therefore, the offense and Tua would be fine. But that hasn't been the case. And they've really undermined just how much of a chance Tua has to have any kind of success. So the Ravens are a team that they blitz a lot. They have a ton of uh, good players up front. It seems like it seems pretty hard to imagine a world where that line won't be a major problem against Baltimore. Yeah, and just finally, Sam, uh, before we let you go, I, I'm presuming you're taking the Ravens tonight, or can Miami pull something off? No, I'm taking the Ravens, definitely. And I think they'll probably <laughs> cover the spread as well. Like, it's just too big a mismatch with that offensive line. 100%. And folks, for anybody that uh, hasn't seen Sam's work, there's daily, you know, so many so many podcasts, loads of content, pff.com, at pff underscore Sam. We can encourage you to try and subscribe to PFF. And Sam, thank you for the support. Thanks so much for coming on. Hopefully we can grab a couple of pints in LA or Ohio or somewhere when we finally get over again. Appreciate it, guys, and uh, congrats on all your growth and success as well. Appreciate it, man. And chat to you soon. Thank you. Thanks, Sam. Thanks, Thank Sam. You. Sam Monson, Proof Up a Focus. Sam, thanks so much for coming on, man. And honestly, lads, check out pff.com, college football grades, premium stats as well. You can get it on a monthly, yearly basis. You can get it in pounds, euros, dollars, pay for it. It's 100%. And massive thanks to Sam for coming on. Always good to hear from Sam as well. Come yeah um and look it's it's funny because the the stats side of things is a huge aspect but in fairness um it, there's a there's a lot more to it it's not that they're solely stats driven there is uh stuff where they watch it and we saw bill belichick i don't know if anyone saw that video earlier talking about the difference between about qb pressures and sacks and stuff like that um so even bill who says himself that he isn't a big fan of stats uh it's beginning, and maybe it's beginning to seep. Maybe a process of osmosis that it's seeping in there. You enjoy I, a chat, Brian? Yeah, 
I did. Yeah, I think it's great because you know we do so many interviews and, and chats like that during the off season. You know, as I touched on with our fifty six uh, shows throughout the off season. But once we get into the season, predominantly all the shows are more are all geared towards discussing the impact of games and players' injuries, and obviously they're leading into the following weekend. So it's it's great to have Sam on because we get an opportunity to discuss numerous teams. You know, for all the fans out there across across the league who are watching the show week in week out. You know, they get to sit here, absorb some information that. They may not pick up on during the week on their team. So it's always great to have Sam on. His level of detail is second to none. Before we bring our next guest on, let's quickly have a look at our our proud partners, Matchbook Betting Exchange. Currently, folks, you can get a 15 pound or 15 euro welcome offer. Money back as cash if your first bet loses. Bonus code is Irish NFL Show. That's for new customers only. All the terms and conditions are at the bottom. Please, you know, obviously 18 plus. Be gamble aware. Please only gamble or spend what you can afford. Uh, some really interesting NFL bats at the weekends from lads on Twitter. And it's look, lads, it's intriguing to see the way Americans are betting now because a lot of states have opened up gambling. But even looking at tonight with how giving away our picks, uh, the over and under is 46.5. Column, I, I find it very hard to see Miami scoring anywhere even near half of that, you know, without giving my pick away so far. I thought you were going to start really asking me about gambling, Michael. And no, I don't gonna, worry. I, I was going to say, I, I know as much about betting as um, the the owner of Brian's football team knows about ta- taunting and, and player, players celebrating. Um, look, for the for the Dolphins, it's... Now, the only thing you'd say is... The, I think the Raiders have are the Raiders the Ra- the Raiders have all sorts of issues the Ravens have issues in the secondary I really think that they they do but can the the Dolphins exploit that we've seen them struggle um a Damian Harris fumble and playing a rancid uh, Texans team are the only wins that they've had they they're if they're to do anything it's going to be relying on Mark's man crush um Mike Gazicki to to really uh, come up with points but I I think the it's going to be difficult uh because the, I think the Ravens are going to be up for it I mean the the Vikings play everyone close we know that but the Ravens have the opportunity to really lay a, a marker down tonight as we're into the second half of the the season so it will be difficult for the the Dolphins I think to to get points because the the Ravens are ferocious in terms of going after the QB uh, the over, or sorry, the line, Brian, uh, tonight, Ravens minus seven and a half. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Giving your pick away. I, I, that's the difficulty. This is the difficulty of discussing this game. You know, at this moment in time, obviously, we've got another guest to come on. But uh, just look, I, I always take time out during the week to look at all the lines because it's very interesting to see how the bookies are, are looking at it. And it's, it's good that um, when we put up our graph on the weekend in terms of who we're picking for the games, it's great that we always have the favourites in there in terms of who the bookies expect to win the game. Look, everybody expects the Ravens to win this game. They're one to four, which is for column four. It's put on four euro column to win a euro. That's how confident they are that the <laughs> that the Ravens are going to win. But the line seven and a half, it's enticing line. It's ent- it's a tricky one as well though because we've seen so many games throughout the season where garbage time touchdowns go in and it kills lines. I think the the Texans and the Rams a couple of weeks ago was 17 points on the line and the Rams won by 16 because a number of late touchdowns went in by the Texans when the Rams are resting up. I don't think we're going to see a scenario where the Ravens are resting up in this game, but uh, it's a tricky it's a tricky line, but um, I don't want to give away my pick 
and or where I'm leaning on that line just yet. The 46 and a half, yeah, it's a tricky one. Uh, Michael, it's interesting for Thursday night, though, Brian, even, even just generally. that That's a high... It's a high line. It's a high line for an offense. That high line is on the expectation that two is going to come out from this injury, if uh, you know, subject to him being cleared to play and put up a, a performance like what we saw from some of the players in London. Waddle, two touchdowns. Gazicki, you know, they have the players to put the scores up, you know, and go against most sides. What we've seen is this year they've lost games quite a few scoring games. The, the book is expectation is that we'll see a high scoring game. And with Lamar Jackson and that Ravens. I mean, there is a there is a case that they could put up 30, 34 points potentially. You know, depending on the play, they did it last weekend against the Vikings. So, if they're putting up thirty four, they're they're hoping that the the Dolphins can do enough to put up what, 14, 15, 17 points. That's, that's I imagine happens. that's that's the top process point. Uh, two uh, officially questionable. Obviously, the status will be yeah. more clear towards the game, and we'll talk about that later on. Appreciate you boys talking one about matchbook and not giving your game picks away. Well done, very, very well done there, boys. Uh, and some interesting stats ahead tonight. Obviously, the great thing about the exchange is you can back or lay. So if you don't agree with us or the lads, you can back or you can lay it. Uh, as we said before, fifteen pound, fifteen euro welcome offer. All the information is there. The main thing there is the code is Irish NFL Show. If you're signing up, obviously eighteen plus. Please only bet what you can afford and enjoy the game as well. Uh, and again, thanks to Matchbook Betting Exchange. Excited to see our offer, well, Brian's or Bino's bet ahead of the weekend. Mm. We'll leave that for a few days and, and see the crack. Boys, before we get to our next guest on, Connor Rogers from Bleacher Report, um, anything else taking your fancy in the NFL this week? For me, like, I mean, I sort of said to Brian uh, or to Colin there, Brian, you know, those power rankings from Don Hanses. I'm starting to think the Cardinals in his eyes are like starting to jump ahead. Titans, I think, are number two. Cowboys going out. But is there anything, I'll start with you, even with you, Brian. Is there anything picking your fancy this week that we haven't maybe talked about? Well, I'll, I'll stick with the Cardinals for the time being because you, you, I suppose you, you've, you've leaned in there with that point. Um, Colt McCoy last year came in and did a similar situation. He had a similar situation at the Giants. And his first game, he was really effective, played really well. And that was in Seattle when the Giants won. After that, he fell off the cliff. So he's prone to having a really good, strong game and then falling off. And I was thinking, looking at this week, they're playing against the Panthers, who have a solid defense. And I, was, I wasn't going to go down the road saying it's going to cause a shock. I just don't think the game would be as, uh, I suppose, one-sided as people think. But unfortunately, now what we've... What we've learned is Sam Darren's not going to play well, unfortunately, or unfortunately, depending on what way you look at it. But having seen PJ Walker in the XFL, because I took time out during that offseason to watch him and it was around for the before COVID struck, and then having seen him against the Giants and having seen him in some other teams come in, I'm not entirely sure he's the answer, which makes makes you believe it's going to be a one sided game. And they'll ride with Colt McCoy for another week. So, you know, that conversation we had last week should Dak play? Well, should, should Kyler Murray play if his ankle isn't right this weekend? Because you would expect whatever quarterback they have at the moment to beat the Pants. For me, the game of the weekend, not to look too far ahead, it's the Browns and the Patriots. That's the game for me that I'm really looking forward to seeing this weekend. With the Giants on a bye week, I'll be able to enjoy all games through red zone and not have to worry about, you know, the frailties. I love how you team. got the Giants in that. Like, I actually oh, love how you brought the Giants in that. Somehow you got them in <laughs> So we're on a bye week. That's the game for me. Uh, Sky and Sean, if they're going with another game, I can't recall what they're going with. But for me, that's, that's the game of the weekend because... Um, if you look at the Patriots schedule coming up, they've got the uh, the Bills, the Titans, and uh, I think they got the Colts. And this game is a is a must win for them to you know to really push on for a wild card. And I'm not saying they won't win any of those games; they're all difficult games. But they've got 
you know, for in terms of confidence and, and building momentum, they've got to win this game. And the Browns last weekend put them 40 points. They'll expect to win that game as well. So that's for me is the game of the weekend. Delighted now, Colin. I was going to get your thoughts, but we'll bring our guest in first and, and we'll talk a wee bit after when we get our game picks as well. Delighted to bring in our second guest to the evening. We had Sam Monson on first from PFF. We're now delighted to welcome in Connor Rogers, who's the lead NFL draft analyst at BR Bleacher Report. Connor, I, I almost forgot to hit the button to bring you in. Welcome in. How's it going? Good. How are you guys? Thanks for having me. I love how I literally have the wrong guest thing. You, 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 you can see at the bottom. It's just it's been it's been a long week. I'll I'll fix that in a minute. Connor, obviously great to have you in uh, and welcome on. And look, we, we ask everybody this. Um obviously if you're from the States, you've got a very sort of Irish sound and surname. have you any uh, heritage to Ireland at all? Yeah, all the way. You guys hear me all good? Yeah, yeah, perfect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um as far as I know, my family is from Kerry. Um so I don't know what generation we're on to now, but I'm Irish on both sides, both my mom and my dad. Um, as far as I know, I'm pretty close to 100%. Um, I have some Gaelic written in my arm. I won't tell you what it is, but um, I am, yeah, I'm very Irish. So, uh, so we're super proud of it. And I can't wait to get out there, to be honest with you. We've, we awesome. tried to organize, you know, family trips and stuff. But then when the pandemic hit, it's, um, it's unfortunately delayed, but it'll be, uh, it'll be in no time we'll be out there. Well, you have a whole load of tour guides and uh, people, yeah, to, people to go for pints with, uh, you know. <laughs> and uh, I, I'm from Cork, but my mother's family are from Kerry. So uh, I have a chip on both shoulders, Connor, and uh, happy to, to provide some recommendations for, for both places. But um, Michael mentioned, like, one of the areas you look at is, is the draft. And I suppose as a Broncos fan, I'm interested in your take on the Von Miller situation because essentially what the Broncos did was they kind of they they they're taking the hit on Von's salary um so the Rams get get Von which really is probably for a play the playoffs more than mm -hmm. even the regular season I would say but what's your take on that that uh, that trade and uh, do you see it working for for both with the Broncos getting the second and third round picks I really do. I think one of the hardest things in the NFL is to put emotion aside and make a right business decision. And I think it's it's really hard for fans. And then it's it's difficult for teams, but not as hard for them. And I think for Denver, who they've won a Super Bowl with Vaughn, he's been an M Super Bowl MVP. He's been, you know, off the field, an incredible player for them. Somebody that I think really meshed well with that organization from the get-go was almost an instant superstar when you're drafted as a top five pick the expectations are insane and it felt like it, there was never a moment and you could speak to this better than me where Broncos fans were worried about Von Miller reaching up to his potential and exceeding it he was a star he was a superstar he was the backbone of a defensive unit um and, and even with an older Peyton Manning on that team he was the best football player on that Super Bowl team so when you have a player like that that's still productive, right? It's hard to move on. But the problem is you're facing a window of if we wait a little longer, we might end up with nothing. We have to look ourselves in the mirror right now and say, we're probably not a contender this year. And that's hard to admit for a lot of teams. And the, the fact is for Vaughn, you know, I think number one, it's, it's good for Vaughn. He has another chance at a Super Bowl run. He's going to a market where his character will just be incredible on a place that they are all in on winning the Super Bowl. But for the Broncos, the fact that they were able to kick in the money up to the value for a second and third round pick for a player 
that has been off the field quite a bit with injuries. I just don't think by the time the Broncos are contending the way the Rams are, Von Miller will be a staple of that defense anymore. So it was a tough move to make, but it's the right move to make. Connor, there's an expectation that next year's draft class on quarterbacks is not as to the level as we've seen over throughout the, the last four to five years, and therefore we'll see see more teams making a more aggressive push for the quarterbacks that potentially could move, move next year. Aaron Rodgers, potentially Russell Wilson, obviously Sean Watson's going to move. Do you buy into that, that this draft class coming up is not going to be to the expectation, and, and then therefore we'll see more teams pushing for quarterbacks winning the league? I do. It's Of course, it's early, but just having a pretty good read on them, it's just not even close to what we're accustomed to seeing. I think last year, I felt comfortable telling people, you can take Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields, Zach Wilson, Trey Lance, all in the top five, and it's they're worthy of those picks. No matter if they need to sit, like Trey Lance needed to sit for a little bit, I think even Zach Wilson is good that he's getting to watch right now. Fields had a rough start, but the green light's coming on. And Lawrence is in a bad situation, but we know how talented he is. Those guys were special. And even after that, Mac Jones had a high floor, not a great ceiling, but you knew he could play. You knew he would be able to efficiently run your offense. These guys, it's just, it's not there right now. And it's, I know it's, you know, it's just saying that, right? They could, they could explode. They could develop. They can go to a good situation. They could sit for a year and turn into a star. But if you're looking for guys that can come in and play right away, it just doesn't exist right now, right? You have Malik Willis, who's really talented, big arm, good mover, uh, but the the speed of the game is just not there yet for him. And a lot of these young guys, it's not there yet. Sam Howell has really struggled this year. Desmond Ritter is a solid prospect, but the accuracy comes and goes. Kenny Pickett, I've seen some Joe Burrow comps. Yes, he manages the game well. Yes, he's accurate, but he doesn't have the physical traits that wow you. So, yeah, I think if you were if you needed a quarterback, you better have done it last year. And and you're not going to find a guy, I think, in the top three picks that you say is this franchise guy that we're moving forward with, unless somebody really has this huge process and rises really late. Connor, I I know you're a big New York man. Okay, I'm, I'm not going to ask you where your loyalty lies in terms of teams there, but all of us lads were over at the Jets Falcons game. We're over at the game after as well uh, recently. Done a couple of shows there. For me, I I have to be honest, I haven't told the boys this or done this on the show. I loved the atmosphere from the Jets fans in London. Yeah. It was unreal. And I really want to go to a game at MetLife, maybe Giants Jets to try and keep Brian here. Yeah, there you a go. Giants fan. But uh, here, it's it's been a crazy few weeks. Zach Wilson, we were really surprised at the size of Zach Wilson and how big he actually was seeing him in person. Yeah. Mike White comes in. I felt bad for him last week about the Colts, but uh, it's Hasn't been the best season going for the Jets, but it's been an exciting one. There's been something different every week, hasn't it? Yeah, I think you nailed it, right? So I'm from New York. <laughs> um, I grew up in a household of crazy Jets fans, uh, more big Mets fans, Knicks fans, and Rangers for hockey. So, And that's usually how it goes, Jets and Mets for the most part, because they both used to play in Queens at Shea Stadium. So, you know, for me, it, moving into this full time, it's, you know, I don't get to go to MetLife as much as I used to when I was a kid, when it was the Meadowlands and everything, but... It is a diehard fan base. They, you know, it's like all those years the Browns were so bad and those fans were still at the stadium, still screaming, and they care so much about the team and you just want them to be good to see what it would be like to make that transition. The Jets are in a little bit of that bind right now where the people still care so much and they have a young, talented quarterback that, you know, we'll see if he figures it out. They have a first-time head coach, a first-time play caller. They got a million rookies on the field. They lead the NFL in snaps for rookies by like a gigantic margin out there. 
you know, at left guard, at all the corner spots, uh, across the board. So I, I think for them, you know, it's this was an expected roller coaster. Young teams are not consistent. They're going to have weeks where they get blown out by New England. They get blown out by the Broncos. Then they have weeks where they beat the Titans and the Bengals, two of the AFC's top contenders. It doesn't make any sense because young teams don't make any sense. They're looking for consistency uh, with the game plan, with themselves. It's a big adjustment from college to the NFL. And that's what the Jets are enduring right now. Schedule lightens up at the end of the year. They got Miami twice. They got the Texans, the Jaguars. Maybe they could pull off a couple wins and you start to feel good about next year. One of the, the other teams who's really struggling and they, they have a, a rookie head coach, I guess, as such. Uh, the Lions, not a, a franchise we discuss that frequently on, on the show. But they they are they are in a world of hurt right now. Nothing seems to be going their way, other than they are at times and certainly playing for their head coach, but then the Eagles put a beat down on them. Um, I know we touched on the, the QBs in the draft, but maybe at, in terms of the draft, but also how do you go so about solving a problem like Detroit, Connor? It takes a while. That's the first thing I always tell people. It's not a one-year process, and that's why you always look at the guys that take those jobs and, and, and you look at their contracts. And for Brad Holmes and Dan Campbell, uh, first-time head coach, first-time GM, they got five-year deals. So they were basically brought in there to say, you're going to have a little time to get this right. You're not going to be looking for the playoffs in year one, probably not even year two, to be honest with you. We need to draft their team that fits what you want to do as a head coach. And we're going to get Jared Goff in here because we think he can hold the Ford at quarterback for now. But most importantly, because we got two first rounders as well. Um, and, and then we're going to build our team of the future and, and they're going to get a young guy in there eventually. I think you kind of nailed it, though. The tricky thing with the Lions is they're going to be picking in the top three. I think we comfortably feel that way. I don't think a quarterback is going to be a justifiable option with a top three pick. But the problem is, how long can you go without having your quarterback of the future if you're the Lions? Is, is there a guy out there uh, that you feel you can get more out of in free agency? We know Russell Wilson might hit the trade market next year. I think you're looking more at teams like the Eagles and, and along the lines of that. That'll be in that. It's not really the Lions. And Russell will have a lot of control where he wants to go, and it wouldn't be Detroit. So they're in a bind right now, and it's tough to figure out. I, I think for me with the Lions, a roster that's paper thin, right? They're walking into a situation kind of like Joe Douglas did two years ago where you go, I I'm starting one through 53 from scratch. They just had their first draft. I like some of the pieces they got. Uh, they're out there playing hard. They're getting right. You might be trading out of that top three selection for a team that does buy into one of the quarterbacks right there, unless you get a blue chip player, a Kayvon Thibodeau from Oregon, something like that, that you know can be your Von Miller, can be, hey, this is our pass rusher that's going to be a top three pass rusher, and, and he's going to be the face of our franchise, and then we're going to figure out the rest along the way. So, the Lions have a lot of soul searching, a lot of roster building to do, but they have time on their side. They have assets on their side. And I think the biggest domino for them is how are they going to address that quarterback situation, assuming Jared Goff's not the answer. Connor, this was the Irish MLB show. I'd be asking you when the Mets are going to get a general manager, but I'll, I'll shy away from that question tonight. Because yeah. it's never happening. <laughs> <laughs> the longest general manager search in the history of, of baseball. Um, as a Giants fan, um, I have to talk to you about Daniel Jones. Um, my concern is come the end of the season, it's going to be difficult to put a proper evaluation on him because the offensive yeah. line is up and down. Uh, Galladay's been injured. Tony's, you know, only making his way in. You know, he's only starting to get used. And even last weekend, he only had one one uh, catch, which was for a first down, and he only got looked at once. So you, you'd argue then, and Berkeley obviously, again, is out injured. You know, he's 
seems to spend more time not playing yeah. than he does. So where does that leave us? Because, you know, fifth-year option, you just touched on the fact that the draft class is not going to be to the expectation where we hope to see. Are we going to try be? Are we going to try use those two first round picks next year with the Bears pick to try to find find another answer? Or are you going to give them that contract? I think you know honestly they're going to go right in the middle of what you're saying. I, I can't see them paying him unless they get a discount right now, but I also can't see them moving on. I think they're in a situation where they'll be comfortable with the fifth year option two years from now, and they'll say you know because you watch you watch the Giants obviously you could tell he's not the problem with the team. But what you want to know with Daniel Jones being a top 10 pick a quarterback, when is he going to be the answer, right? When is he going to go win you a couple games? When is he going to punch above his weight class? And you go, wow, Daniel Jones carried the Giants in the second half of that game. And now they can continue on knowing that he can go out and win them games, get him more pieces around him. You just feel like you're somewhere in the middle all the time. Is that the guy he's always going to be? Or can he continue to take steps in the right direction like we've seen in spurts? So I think for the Giants, we got to see what happens to the front office. I think they're going to move on from Dave Gettleman. But yeah. I think a new GM would not come in and say, I need to blow everything up right away. It's kind of similar where you can run it out there with Daniel Jones in year four. That fifth-year option will be an interesting decision to make. Let's not forget the Panthers just did that with Sam Darnold. It does not look like a good decision. So you got to be sure because that's guaranteed money. It's a lot of guaranteed money. But it's a one-year deal. The, the saying is there's no such thing as a bad one-year deal. So – I think Jones gets another year next year. I think to be fair to him, you'd like to see continuity on the offensive line. You'd like to see a better coach group and you'd like to see a healthier group. And I'm with you all the way that, you know, how can you rely on Saquon Barkley at this point? I think it's at the point where you need maybe another playmaker in that offense. We'll see what Tony could do because he's had some really bright spots, but the, it all starts with the protection because they can't run the ball consistently or pass protect consistently for Jones. And until you see those things, it's hard to really get a read on what his ceiling is, not his floor. For for me on the Jones situation is, you know, there's an unknown in terms of when the game hurries up. We've, we've not seen many games where he's had to go and win the game. Like yeah, some, some of the wins we've had, like last weekend, the game was won by the defense. The Panthers game is over. You know, but and maybe with the exception of that Saints game where they went in and won and they came back. But there hasn't been too many games where he's had to go and win the game and play with late field goals time. almost every yeah. week. Yeah, yeah, it's out of their hands, no doubt. Yeah. Over to you, Michael. Sorry. Yeah, sorry. I just keep. I, th I think there's like a little delay in my audio. You see these AirPods, boys, Bluetooth, a Ireland Wi-Fi, Connor. It's not Ooh. great, but look, yeah, uh, I'm wired in here. I don't mess around. <laughs> I don't want to lose you guys halfway across the world. We've got the uh, we've got the three of us here. I'm gonna ask you about tonight's game. I, I I'll ask you about the Dolphins. Maybe Colin can get the Ravens, and Brian can get your pick ahead of tonight. Sure. For me, the Dolphins. You know how how do the Dolphins win tonight's game? Like, it's difficult. If you find out, Even let them know. Uh, no, but seriously. <laughs> You know what? They're going to need to play mistake-free ball on defense against an MVP candidate, a guy I think is going to ultimately shock a lot of people and win the MVP down the stretch in Lamar Jackson. He's plus 1,100 right now. I think he ultimately ends up being the MVP of the NFL this year, and I think that's a really difficult place to be in. And then on the on the flip side, you got to find a way to get a big play. This offense cannot get a big play. You, drafted, you traded up to get Jalen Waddell in the top 10 why are you not throwing the ball down the field to him or finding explosive plays to him? I think the answer is the offensive line cannot hold up in pass protection. The quarterbacks are just, quite frankly, not really that good. So is there a different way to find that explosive play? Is it a jet sweep? Is it a double pass? Is it, a, is it using him out of the backfield and throwing him in the flat? 
and letting him catch and run, kind of how the Falcons have used Cordero Patterson lately. They got to get more creative because they're not good enough to, to not be. And that's on top of that playing mistake-free ball on defense, which they haven't done. And that was kind of their MO coming into the year. They're going to be a gritty, grind it, give you nothing through the air defensive team that'll shut down the run. So the Dolphins have a lot of issues right now. And quite frankly, they're not creative enough to overcome their low points. You you talked as rightly, I think Lamar has completely changed the narrative around him. It was, oh, Lamar can, uh, you know, you get a lead and Lamar's not going to be able to lead the Ravens. Well, he showed that time and time again, that is not the case this uh, season. And you talk about Lamar for, and I mean, the, the Ravens have showed great, um, you know, I suppose, uh, camaraderie and team spirit in overcoming adversity given all the injuries that they've had but would would you have any concerns like my concerns with the the Ravens are I think they'll be fine for the regular season they get to the playoffs if their secondary is playing as it is now yeah I don't know how deep they're going yeah I think you're right it's it's not the Ravens were accustomed to being spoiled with for so long as NFL fans right where you watch and you see lockdown man coverage cornerbacks you see blitz packages up front that get home uh, they're young they're injured they have a lot of questions they're kind of learning on the fly they've obviously had significant injuries at cornerback I, I'm with you it's going to be tough you you almost are expecting Lamar to be Superman if you want to go far in the playoffs now what I will say is the coaching staff's been there a million times in the playoffs. Totally different animal. Can they find a way to reel off some wins and get a home game, right? That would be pretty nice for them. We know what they can do at home. I'm with you. It's their it's their fatal flaw right now, and it almost puts so much pressure on an offense that has lost over three running backs to significant injuries. They have not a lot of continuity on the offensive line. They have a lot of new pieces. Some pieces went out the door. Some came in. Uh, where they're not a dominant unit. I think they're a good unit. And at wide receiver, yes, they got Rashad Bateman back, which was a it's a huge, a huge boost for them right now. But they don't always scare you at wide receiver across the board, right? That's always the thing with the Ravens. You don't line up out there and go, wow, there's three different options that we're going to have to game plan around. I like Mark Andrews a lot at tight end. I think he's Lamar's favorite weapon. There's no doubt about that. And Hollywood Brown's another roller coaster kind of player. So, so why Lamar has to be Superman. He's got to run for yards. He's got to make plays with his legs to keep his eyes downfield and throw the ball down the field. It's a lot of pressure on him. And without having that typical elite Ravens defense, it makes things almost impossible for him at times when they fall behind in games. Playing from behind in the NFL is really tough. So I'll say this, you know, I've, I've said for a while, I think the Bills are the most dangerous team in the AFC for the playoffs. But if anyone can challenge them because of the experience at key spots, coaching and quarterback, I do think it's Baltimore. Connor, we saw Martindale go blitz heavy a few weeks ago against the Chargers, similar enough last week against the Vikings. I'd imagine he would be doing a similar to a, a struggling offensive line in the Dolphins. Yeah. Um, where, I think I know where you're going with this game, but can, you want to give us your pick for this one? Yeah, I, I mean, the Ravens need to win this game. If they lose this game, throw everything I just said out the window. They don't belong in any conversation. So I think when you look at it, I think they win by a touchdown pretty easily, quite frankly. I think this is not a good week for the Dolphins to be playing on short rest and short preparation. A lot of people forget on these Thursday night games, you maybe get one practice in. And practice is a walkthrough, right? You look at the plays that you really liked from the weekend before, and you sit there and go, okay, let's let's keep these in the playbook. Let's condense the playbook. So 
And, you know, teams that are better than quarterback have an advantage. Lamar has been running this Ravens offense for how long at the highest level for Miami. They're not really running any offense at a high level. So I think when you look at it, there are so many things swinging Baltimore's way in this game, even with the deficiencies and the injuries that they have that uh, it would Thursday night football surprises us a lot. This game has no business being a surprise. Connor, uh, really appreciate you coming on the show. First of hopefully many times at Connor J. Rogers uh, and obviously at Bleacher Report as well. Please follow support Bleacher Report's content. Connor, you're the lead NFL draft analyst. We look forward to hopefully seeing you in Vegas at the end yes. of April next year. Yes, absolutely. Yeah? Thank you so much, guys. Let's do it again soon, all right? Let's do it again soon. F- Thanks, thanks so much, Connor. All the best. All right. Thank you. Later, guys. Bye-bye. Awesome to hear from Connor. Good to have him on as well, lads. Uh, and clearly a New York sports fan. Brian, did, did you find him and invite him on yet? Is that, is that your plan? No, no, no. That was all Colin. Colin took that one. <laughs> Carry connection. Yeah. Like, you know, he's probably been to the kingdom and I haven't been, which is even worse. I've never been to Kerry. So, oh my God. Un- unbelievable. All right. All right. Okay. Oh. Unbelievable. Do you not think um, he had a, li- a very liking for Tom Paracello from NFL Network? I thought you had some breaking news there for a minute. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I could say it, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I had to get the Mets team in, Michael, come on. (laughs) Fun fact, we had Tom Palacero on the show on my birthday. You made me interview somebody on my birthday. Anyway, uh, that was a joke. I can tell you what date that was. 25th of February? No, no. 26th. Yes, we've put the feelers out now towards the towards the NFL draft. Let, let's see if I can get it off work for a start. We'll try and do some sort of thing thing for that. Who, who knows what's going to happen? Uh, right. Before we look at the game tonight, is there anything else anybody wants to talk about? Because I'm conscious we're near an 11 o'clock at night here. Um, anything anyone stop? Obviously, column. I'm really looking forward to this little game this weekend in the league. You know, Sunday night football. Let me just make sure I've got this correct, or else I'm going to be really, really wrong. Sunday Night Football, Raiders, Chiefs. Like there, there are a lot of good games this weekend. One that isn't a good game is the Jets and Bills, but Patriots Browns for me should be in TV this weekend, and it's not. Well, we're going to see. I mean, look, when when the Jets played the Titans, didn't think there would be, and you know that that'd be good. Didn't think thought the Bengals, given how they were playing at the time, and then all of a sudden, Mike White does Mike White things now. I don't think he's the long-term answer, but any given Sunday, and we talked about the top of the show, if you go into a, a game in this league thinking that it's a gimme, you're going you're, you know, you're to get punched in the mouth. Yeah, like even last week when you, well, you were very, you know, downbeat on your Broncos and felt they wouldn't have any opportunity to win that game in Dallas. The final point I made on it was, and similar to what Colin said there, you just never know in the NFL. There's going to be a surprise somewhere this weekend. And personally, I hope it's in a, it's in Dallas and the Falcons take care of business against the Cowboys. And uh, there's some great games, great games ahead. Interesting Monday night one as well. I know we we're, we don't tend to cover Monday night's game on our show the weekend, but the Rams, the Rams looking to rebound going into San Francisco, who are coming off a difficult loss against against Arizona. Those games tend to go back and forth, you know. And so it'll be interesting to see how that one goes. Now the main the main problem is you know you have to get concerned here now is the Manning cast back on next week? That's what you're concerned about. Uh, it's unclear as to when they're back. There's the break. Thank you, Internet. Breaking news live. We don't know. They've, they've got five more games to go. I think ESPN's probably 
trying to spread it. I'm actually they're, they're probably keeping it for that playoff game. We, we we've got a wild card game in the Monday. That boys, yeah. that is going to be a disaster. How are we going to watch that? Seriously, well, it, it's disappointing because well, look, it's disappointing for us because obviously this. So, <laughs> so, so, so what they did last year was they introduced the three games on the Saturday, which was the six o'clock nine. That's after. fine. That's yeah, fine. But, yeah. So now they've, what they've done is they've they've obviously I'd imagine they've looked at the audience numbers of that game, which at the time happened to be the Colts and the Bills. A Saturday afternoon at one o'clock, they probably didn't get the numbers they expected. So they've gone back to the original plan, which was half nine, late game, Sunday. I, I'm not even can't recall whether they're going late game again on Sunday for Sunday night football. I need the year, and then obviously then ESPN get their game on Monday. And actually, I think that was the forfeit of you. No, actually, sorry, it wasn't. Um, you know, at the start of the season in week one, we've always tend to have two Monday night games, which was midnight and then 20 past three in the morning, which is always seemed to be the Broncos. And for you poor guys having to watch a game at that time, they took that game away this year and they've given the ESPN a Saturday game leading up to Christmas, which is good because then we get a bit more Saturday action. Maybe we can do it. We done last year like a live show or a, a lovely show in Dublin before, like Saturday before Christmas, or as they call it last year, the Saturday before the country shut down. The whole the, sure. the whole thing shut down. Uh, right? Is it time to look ahead of this game, or or is there anything else to exhaust ourselves to talk about, boys? I think no. I think to, I think it's looking ahead to to this game because there's going to be plenty to discuss. I think over the the course of the weekend show presented by Matchbook Betting Exchange. Code Irish NFL show 15 pound 15 euro welcome offer. Checking on tonight, we've already talked about the handicap, we've talked about the overs unders, but let's talk about the main thing as I go back and try and look like I'm in sync with you lads. Uh, who have we got tonight, Colin? Dolphins two and seven. We've seen one of those losses, Ravens six and two. Who have we got? I, I look, we've talked about how there are no gimmies, but I do think this is a, a game where the Ravens are going to want to make a statement. And we talked with Sam about the issues that the Dolphins have on the O line. If there's a team to look to exploit that, I think it is the, the Ravens. I think they'll get after whoever is playing uh, uh, quarterback for the, the Dolphins, uh, whether it's Tua or Jacoby Brissett. And I well, I I think that the the Dolphins are, have looked a little bit better over the past few weeks in comparison to how they opened the season. I don't think um they they'll have enough. We talked with Connor. I think the Ravens have issues certainly in in the secondary, but I don't think the Dolphins are going to have enough to expose that. For me, it's the Ravens going to to seven and two at the end of this game. Here you go, Brad. It's hard to believe this Dolphins team are, are as poor as they are because got leading into the season, haven't had that ten and six record last year, and they didn't lose too many players from that squad. You know, they, they brought back the vast majority of that team that were you know forcing missed out in the playoffs in week seventeen last year. So to be where they are, and it doesn't look like it's going to get any better. You look at some of the games they got coming up, really tough games. The Ravens, the Ravens are in a really competitive division. Like we we were quite down on the Steelers earlier on the season, but they've rebounded and they're playing the Lions this weekend. The Browns, you know, you could, you'll put up an argument the weekend, someone will that they'll beat the Patriots. Um, the Bengals are, are better than what we expected and they've still got a good record. So for the, for the Ravens, it's a must-win game. And as long as they don't play down to the level, like we've seen in other weeks of the season, you know, other teams playing down to the level of the Dolphins, they should have more than enough to win this game. And I don't know whether it's two or whether it's Jacoby, I think they're in for a rough night, and I think the Ravens will win this game comfortably. 
Tua officially questionable as a sans. Yeah, six of one, half dozen hours, isn't it? Mark is picking do, 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 the Ravens. He didn't send a video through, and I don't think he needed to. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I would have enjoyed listening to his soothing tones. Um, look, lads, we've got Lamar Jackson, Devonta Freeman, Marquise Brown against Jacoby Brissett or Tua. Fair enough, Jalen Waddle might get sick. The, the reality is quarterback play is going to win this game tonight. I'm taking the over, over 46 and a half. I'm taking the handicap, Avec Belzon. The Raiders are going to walk, walk to victory tonight against the Dolphins. This game could be over by the end of the first quarter. In fact, it probably will be. Um, I cannot see how the Ravens get a win tonight. I can't. It's a full house. And if we all smile, this could be a good screenshot. Yeah. I don't know. I just I just can't see how it's going to happen. And for that reason, I'm picking the Ravens. But I think Lamar Jackson, it, it'll be interesting. Will he hand the ball off a lot? Personally, I hope so because I'm starting Freeman in fantasy. But I have a feeling this could be the night he turns it on in terms of the pass because Miami are woeful. I am intrigued to have a have a gander at, at Connor's prediction around the, the uh, MVP and... You know, Lamar Jackson to be that player at the end of the season and the price which he put up on the show tonight. Um, you won't get it on Matchbook because it's, it's predominantly games. Um, but if you were to look elsewhere, you know, 11 plus 1100, so 10 to 1 in air, in air language, in air betting language, 10 to 1 for him to be the MVP at the end of the season. It's more well, to... Column says he's no idea about betting. You see, you see the American odd? That, that's when my thing goes out of the window. So I, I don't know, boys. I don't know. But if you want to. Plus 1100 is 10 to 1 in air world. If you want to have a discussion around that there, Matchbook are our partners. Again, thanks to Matchbook for the support. We're going with the Ravens. It's a full house again in the Ravens. Yeah, full, yeah. Full, full house for the Saints at the weekend, full house for the Cowboys at the weekend. And both of those teams were, you know, especially the Cowboys, they were definitely going to win. This this league, uh, we could, we you know, um, we I'm... Mark, Mark could be making uh, an apology to Mike Zicky um, on on the show on Saturday night. Let's see what happens. We'll see you over, over the weekend for uh, for the for the Irish NFL show, week ten. Week ten. Can you believe, Brian? Have you have you any final words? No, no. Look, we're it's just it's hard to believe. You know, we've hit week ten already. This this. NFL season, every season tends to fly by. And before you know it, you're in the playoff football. Thankfully, we have 17 weeks of action this year. And uh, we'll see where we are come Monday. Because if we're getting to the stage of the season where people are starting to look at the playoff picture, you don't tend to do that too early in the season. But now it's playoff picture and you listen to different shows and different podcasts. And it's they're starting to look ahead to who plays who over the next coming weeks and where they'll, where they'll establish themselves, whether winning divisions or wild cards. Absolutely. That is us for this week. We're back at the weekend time, etc. to be confirmed. Irish NFL show, you can follow us at IRENFL on Twitter. Get the show on a podcast. We've got a show on a Thursday, a Sunday, and a Monday, and maybe a special show for any free agency moves during the season or whoever wire moves as well on Twitter spaces, etc. on YouTube, on Facebook, and also folks, IrishNFLshow.com slash fan club. First access to event pre-sales loads of stuff is free to free to sign up please do so until then boys see you on saturday cheers